through his recovery, he couldn't get off the couch. He couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. I had to help him go to get to the restroom and get to the yeah. you know bed to go to sleep. And it doesn't matter if I was perfect at that because I had to do it. Yeah. I had to get him to he bed. You. you know, yeah. Yeah. And so it was the first time where my best had to be good enough, I guess. That sort of tipped me into saying, okay, I need to, I need to rely on others. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. So we are back with part two of Jim and Andrea's story. And um, I know we left you guys with a little bit of a cliffhanger last time. Really didn't even get to the good part yet. And so here we are on episode two, the part where Jim and Andrea meet and their story of, okay, how do they end up at Collective and how do they end up on this podcast? And so I'm really thankful for you guys and your time. And I'm excited for our listeners to hear um, the resolution and, and really trying to lean in and leaning a little bit more and then leaning back out and eventually you end up in Maryland again. So up to this point, you guys have both been through a ton. Where did you meet and what was the beginning of that like? Uh, we met at a bar. I still had a fairly healthy distrust of women, so I wasn't really interested in like dating a lot of people. I just wanted to go to the bar and just enjoy my own life and have everybody leave me Alone. Yeah. I was there at a girls' night, my sister and one of my friends, and it was a karaoke bar. Uh, so I was the designated driver that night, and I was singing karaoke, had my boots on, and you know, like the metal stripping on like staircases. Uh-huh. My heel got caught, and I flew off the stage pretty much when I was trying to get down. Mm-hmm. My ankle was completely turned sideways, like. Um, and then this guy comes around, and he's like, it's okay, I'm a nurse. Oh, there you go. So, side note, I wasn't a nurse. <laughs> okay. I was in school. Okay, is that legal? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I was not in a sound mind to say sure, truthful sure, things. Sure. I hadn't even taken my orthopedic, like, rotation yet, so I had no idea what I was talking and about. And it was but clear. I was like, but, like, yeah. if your foot is pointing... <laughs> like, he's, like, turning it. Yeah, your foot's pointed at your nose in oh the gosh. underneath way. That's... It's bad, right? I know that much. This is like kind of romantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was like, um, it's broken. You need to go to the hospital. Thankfully, you know, everything worked out. We got to the hospital. He didn't follow me. Um, he no, he has no picture. idea who I am, right? You know? A couple weeks later, we're at yeah. the same bar. Two. I'm on crutches. I, I, was, I was with somebody else, but not. I wasn't interested in the dude I was with. <laughs> um, and then I saw him. She, and then, wait, she was waiting for me. That's it's right. Friend zone is what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh... I saw him in the back, and I was like, hey, I'm here with someone else, but here's my number. And I shoved it in his pants pocket, and the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I waited the obligatory 10 days because that's how excited I was to get into a relationship or even date anybody. 
and yeah, we went out on a date, and I said, you know, this one's okay. Yeah. This one's okay. So we started dating. and Well, first he said, I want to let you know that I have a daughter. Oh, yeah. I threw it out there first. Yeah, you I was like, to. here's my cards. But um, we started dating at that point. I mean, she that didn't scare her off. And I wasn't like, I guess in one hand I was trying to scare her off. Like, if you're going sure. to run, let's just run sure. now yep. before I even like yeah. remember your name. So you're going, here's all my stuff. You, admittedly, are someone who has walls up. What the heck is that like? I don't think he actually knew a lot of my junk until probably after we were married, no, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I didn't know. And I always felt like my junk wasn't big junk, you know? Like it was just, that's what everybody goes through, right? Sure. Like, I don't think I realized how much of a facade I was until about four or five years ago. I just was who I was. So you guys start dating. How do you guys end up getting married? And okay, what is faith like in that? We had, we started going to church with his family. It was a big church with a lot of satellites, and so I was like, "I'll yeah, I'll hang out with you if you want to go to church. I'll come with you." Yeah. It's we easy watched. to hide here because I'm not. You know, we're we're looking at the pastor up on the big screen. Yeah, yeah he wasn't even, even there. I don't even <laughs> have to like. I don't even have to make eye contact with anybody, right? I don't. I can be a part of this. In my way. Yeah, they don't have. They're not going to come and talk to you, and and, no. and then I don't have to listen to your you you know try to BS your way through this and yeah. tell me how great Christianity is because like I know Jesus is good, but this stuff's not you know. Yeah, um, that church actually ended up marrying us. Of course, I was the first first person I know of, at least in my family, that didn't get married in Catholic church. At that time, we were living together, mm-hmm. sexually active, mm-hmm. and they said we won't marry you. They were like, well, you can write a letter to the to the elders and explain your situation. Why? I was like, you got it. <laughs> so I wrote a letter and I said, I'm pretty sure one of your principles in this church is that you meet us where we are. I don't know if that only means when we're okay and when we're like, you know, doing the things that you want. But right now I live with my soon-to-be husband. I was supposed to graduate six months ago and I didn't. And I was supposed to get a job. And I didn't, so I'm still in school, and I didn't have a place to live, and so, yeah, yeah we're living so I was together. Like, well, come live with me. Sure. I mean, you like, <clears throat> we were at a point where we weren't sure if we were gonna make it because if she had gotten a job elsewhere, she had applied all over the country, and I was like, well, if this if this happens, then we'll try, but I don't have a lot of faith that this is gonna work out. Yeah, because you wanted to stay at least somewhere close to your daughter. Yeah, and I was still in school too. I, there's something different about this one, sure. I, you know, I really liked hanging out with her, and she really, she broke my cardinal rule of like, don't get involved with women. Um, so yeah, so I wrote the letter, and we got a call, and he was like, I don't know what you said, but I've never had the elders agree to marry somebody, wow. but they'll marry you. I called them on their own bullshit, yeah. um, and I also promised in the letter that we would not have sex sure. during the time of the engagement, yep. which it almost broke us, sure. I think. Yeah. My crap was over here, her crap was over here, but when we were like together, sure. we were together, and it was there was nothing else that we had to think about, you know? Yeah. And, and you guys both uniquely understand, just based on previous relationships, like there's so much vulnerability that happens, and you guys, chose to be vulnerable with one another you know when you if if she were to leave or you know that was a breaking point for you like you do know like that's a piece of you and so it's really interesting about sex and specifically when people have sex before marriage is like all the the good things that god created it to be you still feel 
It's not, it's not void of those things, but then it's like figuring out what the heck do we do? Why do I feel this way? Typically when there's a break off, then that's where the shame comes from. I have similar conversations with people. If they're living together before they're married, it's like, hey, like this is not a deal breaker, but we need to talk about this. And it's not because it's like, if you do these three months correctly, it negates everything else. It's just saying like, hey, maybe no one's ever had a conversation with you. And, and at least let's go into this thing doing it the right way. My favorite strategy right now is like, we've, I've had married a few couples in the past few years that are like, we want to live together. I'm like, I'll just sign the paperwork now. Because, because really, that's that's what it is, and then you can do the ceremony later, and no one needs to know. And I've done a few weddings in the past year where it's like, we're at the ceremony, and it's like they've been married for a long time because they they were wrestling with that. We want to live together, you know, my lease is up, that kind of thing. There's definitely a better way to approach it than a flat out no. There's definitely a better way to approach it, like for me that I feel as a pastor of like, hey, let's have a conversation about this, because. Very rarely do you come across a couple who is living together ahead of time that doesn't also have like other stuff going on, you know? And it's like, hey, this is a much deeper conversation. And it's not as simple as like, no, you know? So it's really interesting that, that you bring that up because that is that is a really tricky thing. Yeah. So on top of that, they, they say, well, they'll marry us. And you have to do these marriage classes, yeah. which a lot of churches do. Yeah. But they made us read this book called... <laughs> Saving your second marriage before it starts. Oh, okay. Well, it's not my second marriage. Yeah. And so I'm reading this book, and it's all about his baggage, which sure. is great. But it's also like, I don't connect yeah. to this at all. Mm-hmm. And so it was this like constant tension. We had to yeah, do it weekly with this other group of people who I don't think it was their second marriage either, right? Like, sure. No, it and, wasn't. It and wasn't. so it's like, they don't even know what it's like to be in a marriage with yeah. someone that's divorced. And so it was just... Not a great start. Like, we didn't really have a lot else that connected us at that sure. point. So you're connect, you have connecting points. And we're dealing with, you know, being a, having Jesse and, like, doing yeah. all that yeah. and trying to be a good, good stepmom, which I don't even know if that really exists in life. But it's just, like, that relationship sure. is strained. And, yeah. you know, so we get married. And even after we get married, all, like, just that, like, time apart physically like continue to just be an issue so like it wasn't like oh we're gonna take a break and then everything will be fine like then it was still like it felt like even more shame was on top of Mm -hmm. it after you then were like oh well now it's okay but is it okay and like just this like ugh, you know so we got married in ohio we spent our honeymoon in traverse city for four or five nights we came back and we moved to dc wow like all yeah. within the span of yeah. two weeks. Yeah. And what you're talking about is very real. You've been told, save this for marriage. It's what God intended. It's beautiful. It's vulnerable. You're bonded together, all things that are true. But then you get into marriage and you're like, I've been told my whole life not to do this. Um, it's one of those things that, that a lot of couples deal with where you are almost more dysfunctional sexually when you get married, when you've never had like a fullness of that conversation. Um, the problem is a lot of people don't talk about it, and eventually it, it does rip people apart. A dysfunction, and I would just say to everybody listening, like specifically like young married people, if you feel that way, that is very real. A lot of people, if, and one of the best ways you work through is you just start having conversations, and that's what you have to do. And so what happens when you guys move here? How long ago was that, by the way? 2010. That was our first trip out here. Okay. So we moved for my work. I worked at FDA. Um, he found 
a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I bounced through a couple of them yeah. and ended up in the place that I am now. Wow. And that's the first place that I found a community of people that I actually enjoyed Wow. in my, in my whole life. That was the place where my posturing started to really have a negative impact on my life. But I didn't realize it um, because I, I was perfect. I knew everything about everything, and there's no way that I could do something differently or that my the way I talked to people was incorrect or whatever, right? And so things just kept escalating until one day I, I blew up in front of my boss, my boss's boss. <laughs> uh, it, it was a nice, very loud blow up. Thankfully, I also was about to have a baby, <laughs> and so it gave me a way to like... Yeah step out silently, and I still didn't have to face my issues, right? And so all of that kind of collided, but I still didn't know what was happening. That's when actually I feel like my life more started to fall apart than less because back when I said, you know, I prayed for a new heart, I just felt like I was getting worse as a person because I didn't know this at the time, but when you ask things of God, be careful what you ask for because he's got to reveal all of your crap yep. before you can become <laughs> a better human. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize how bad, not bad of a human, but just like I never dealt with any of the stuff that I didn't even know existed. And things started surfacing in different ways. During that time, we were shopping for churches. Mm-hmm. That's when we found DC Metro, right? Yes, At that point? Yeah, okay. so we were, yeah. So we were driving to Alexandria to go to church. Uh, I loved that church. Um, the pastor seemed to come from either a Catholic or a very similar background. So like some of the stuff would like speak directly to me. It was a bad time in our marriage and they like somehow knew and like came up and like, can I pray with you? And it was like, mm-hmm. we must be giving off some sort of weird vibes, yeah. you know. Again, another home, church home that like felt peaceful. There were more normal people there than I had ever experienced in a church, but it was, you know, I was going because it was the right thing to do and because she wanted to go, and that's yeah. great. Yeah, but because yeah. it was so far away, you know, we couldn't get involved. They did have a lot of things that I wish I could have gone to, right? But I was like, I am not driving through Rep Alexandria, through yeah, yeah. like <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of the Wednesday week. night, yeah. Yeah, not yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, but that is the church that I got baptized in as an adult, mm-hmm. which, and then we had Preston. Mm-hmm. Beautiful baby boy. And looked at the house prices out here and said, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And we moved to Indiana. Like, was there some healing and growth? Like you said, you had the blow up moment, but, you know, that new heart that you prayed for, were you like, is it there? Or was Indiana kind of an opportunity where you're like... Well, so Indiana was the place I went to run away and hide to quit. So I I quit because I failed. So I quit, although I would have never admitted it then. Um, this is too hard. You're like everybody else who already hates me in my whole life. So I'm not going to try. I'm going to leave. And I'm going to try again in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Three different companies over that because I just kept, it just kept perpetuating like, oh, I quit for you too. And I'll, I'll, fine. You don't like me. I'll go somewhere else, you know? And because of the industry I'm in, there was job opportunities and I could do that. Like if, if I wasn't good at my job, I probably would have been blacklisted, you sure. know, at some point in there. But like, as long as I wasn't interacting with other humans, I was good. Not and so, so it was great for me to go to huge churches where yep. I could just hide yep. and mm-hmm. I didn't have to be around yeah. 
other people. And when I was, it was just, hi, how are you? Yeah. Great. Let's move on. You know, nothing, nothing else. Yeah. And Jim, you're just like. Along for the ride. I'm just taking care of the house. Which makes sense. So how long were you in Indiana for? Well, maybe a little over four years, yeah. I was not ready to be a, a mother, uh, which is why he took care of the kids. Um, it was, it, I it just was the easier way out of the uncomfortableness of having to grow as a couple. Yeah. I dug into work. That's where I found at least some sort of like, I'm good at this. Yeah, so four years there, and it got to a point where we had sort of run the gamut of the businesses and those Indiana winters got really yeah, cold and boring. flat, gray, Yeah, and so, fields. you know, we said, oh, maybe we should go back to Maryland. You know, this she did part of her um, undergraduate project out here. You know, we lived here once before. We knew that we liked the area. Um, let's just give it a shot. Let's just go back. So, And if I'm being completely honest, which I don't know if I've ever really told you, but when I, I was on a business trip at FDA and I went back to that church mm. and I just kept, I just couldn't stop crying the entire mm-hmm. time I was there. And I was like, I need to be back at that church. Yeah, um, yeah. we pack up everybody. Cora's probably two Just about two, yeah. So they're cute. And um, I look back now and it's like I missed a lot because I, I wasn't there emotionally. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there physically a lot of times because I was very wrapped up in work, but I pretended. I looked like a great mom. So it's, it's like running again, though. You're kind of going back to something that felt maybe real, but never fully got there. Mm-hmm. And so you end up, do you end up in Frederick or did you guys go back to? We came back, you know, we came out here and we were looking around and this place had blown up compared to 2010 when we originally were in Rockville. And I was like, this, we could do this. I don't know if we went to a church for, I think we, probably a year or so, we just didn't go. We just kept... We looked at a lot of churches. We looked at a lot of different places. And it was just like, I'm done. I can't walk into another one. Sure. Like, I just... When you have that that good experience, it's really it's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not going to church, which, Jim, that kind of fits you. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But for you... It was a struggle. It gave you an opportunity again to to run, kind of. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, we we went to another church in Frederick first. Mm-hmm. And we went there for, what, two years probably? Yeah, about two years. Yeah. And I could feel myself like engaging in that. And I could feel that I was learning. And it was it was a good experience at first. It then became more like militant, uh, like end of the world stuff. And I was like, I don't yeah. uh, like know. Yeah. This is not working. You know, yeah. like I... I like no, you know, obviously the end of the world is coming eventually, sure. but nobody knows when that is. Um, and don't pretend like you do. Yeah, Jesus says no one knows the time or the place, which there's this like weird thing in ministry where if someone goes, it's tomorrow, Jesus is like, no, it's not. You know, like, right. I don't know if that's like, true. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, know? you guessed it, well, so it doesn't count. Yeah. But he does make it very clear, like no yeah. one knows. Like it's just something that between him and God. So I guess you can get us to. Yeah. So that's, so that's our last leg, right? So we're at that church and it's getting weird and it's getting militant and the pastor's starting to yell at like the sound people from the stage and the lighting people because like they're not doing things right. Um, And I'm like, well, that's exactly what I figured was going to happen. You know, it's no surprise to me. Um, But we were probably in our worst spot from our marriage at that point. We, We weren't a partnership. I made money and he did everything else, and also had a job. Jim was doing a lot with the kids and with dinners and making sure everybody was ready for school and doing all the things that, you know, you normally think of 
wives and mothers doing. Andrea was, the cracks were showing and there was a lot of venom coming out. And it was like, I was exhausted, she was exhausted, and we got to a point where we had a big blow up. I don't really know actually what led to the screaming, probably something small. Um, And so I just, in a rage, left the house, um, not thinking, didn't have my phone, didn't have shoes on, and I just started walking down the street like, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing, but I can't be here and I can't do this. And I just sat on a swing at a little kid's park for hours. Yeah, Jim drove around very angry, (laughs) came and got me, but pretty much just to take me home so we could not be together anymore. Both of the kids were just in tears, like beside themselves on the couch. And they were like, Mommy left. You know, just this panic. And I, I saw myself at that age, you know, in that same, and I said, that's it, I'm done. And we can't, I'm not gonna put them through what I lived through. Sure. I said, I, I want a divorce. I'll take the kids. You can have the money in the house. I don't want it. I started looking at apartments in, in Ohio. For me, that was like the one, the first moment where I was like, wait, you can't take my kids. Yeah. Like, I was never super involved with my children. I, I, I was peripherally, like, but like that, like, actually punched me into like, wake up, yeah. wake up. And so I was like, no, we can't, we can't do that. Let's work through it. It, it was probably, yeah, it was the first time that I truly saw you realize that you wanted to fight for this. And it was a, it was, you know, it was a pivotal moment in our relationship because it made me realize that um, there was still something there. And so we, we were going to church sporadically before that. Her first instinct was, let's get back to church. Yeah. You know, let's get yeah. back to her, you know, the, the safety and the, yeah. and the shelter. We did. We went back to the church that we were going to. It's January 2019 huge snowstorm. I'm shoveling. I'm listening to music. I'm like, I'm just going to throw on a podcast. And I'm not a podcast kind of guy. I listen to a ton of audiobooks, but I don't listen to a bunch of podcasts. So I get on Apple Podcasts and I search Church Frederick and your church came up and Collective came up. So random, right? So I started listening to that. It was, it was the, the series on the musicology series. Yeah. And yeah. Which is about like rhythm and habits and yeah. rest. Yeah. The about. Yeah. And, and rest. I think the, the rest is what sort of punched me upside the head. You know, we, we talk about, you know, the, the expectations on, on women being good mothers, um, whereas I, I had the opposite. You know, I had, to, I had to fight and prove to myself that I was a man with predominantly female job in nursing, sure. taking care of two kids at home, being the stay-at-home dad. So I way over... over uh, saturated in just doing everything doing everything all the time so when that came up with the rest it it spoke to me in a way that i'd not i hadn't heard anything like that in a in a really really long time you know maybe i should tell andrea that we should go to this church or we should try this church like i want to try something i we got to do something different here this isn't working what we're doing is not working but i wasn't ready at that point to say we need to really bring authentic Christianity into our lives, you know, because I, one problem at a time, right? Let me, let me continue to hide at church. This makes her feel safe. 
let's see, let's play this out and see if we have any, any sort of pathway forward here, you know? It's May of that year. I've got some health problems. I got to get scanned, got to get my head scanned every now and then just to make sure I don't have an aneurysm in there that pops, right? I don't have any, everything's fine. I get, pop my head in the MRI, I come out, you know, long story short, I have a tumor. I have a brain tumor. I forget exactly, but it was somewhere around the size of like a racquetball. What the um, heck? Sitting in the, yeah, at the base of my, of my brain. And I'm 40, 40 or 41. And I'm like, well, this figures, right? My dad died at 43. Kids are the same age. Preston didn't even make it to as long as I'm, you know, where I'm at. So, so we, we went to Hopkins main campus. I went to my hospital, my, my intensive care unit. My people looked at it and they were like, we, this is something you need to get removed. Um, we'll do it if you want us to. And I said, no, I, because if I die, I don't want that on your conscience, yeah. right? Because yeah. um, that was my community. That was, those were the people that I truly connected with for you know, really the first time in, in my life yeah. outside of you know, a few family members. So we went to main campus Hopkins and I you know, had it removed um, in June of 2019. You know, I felt like I had made peace with God before I went into the surgery, just in case. Nobody wanted to tell me how important this was. Um, and so his friends from work just kept like, hey, are you okay? Like, I can't believe you're there by yourself. Like, you know, what's, you know, how's everything going? And I was like, Dude, everything's fine. Like, I brought work with me. I'm just sitting yeah. there like doing stuff because everyone told me, you know, he told me this sounded like the surgeon was saying that everything yeah. was you know, going to be fine. And so I was like, why are all these people yeah. flipping out? Yeah. And my, my rationale to that was <laughs> I can either tell her there's not a good chance, but there is a chance that I could not come out of the surgery sure. and have her be a complete wreck for the last couple of weeks that we're together. Or I can say, well, you know, we're going to probably be fine. And then if I die, she's going to be a wreck anyways, but at least we'll have a couple of weeks of normal. Sure. So like it's super twisted, and I don't, no, I don't, I don't recommend it. There's no it, right or wrong way. That. There's no way. Yeah, I don't recommend that course yeah. of action in the future. But it was the hardest season of my life. I mean, it was. I literally had to learn how to walk again. It was just really hard to see him have to recover from that in the hospital, and like life happens, and it just changes the outlook. And you're thankful for what you have, even though you were always thankful for it, but it's just, it's different, right? You almost lost it and you almost had to figure out how to do life alone. And that's not something that, you know, we, I wanted to do. I was kind of not alone because he was there, but through his recovery, he couldn't get off the couch. He couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. I had to help him go to get to the restroom and get to the yeah. you know bed to go to sleep and all of those things. And it just yeah. kind of changes, you know. It doesn't matter if I was perfect at that because I had to do it. Yeah. I had to get him he to bed. He needed you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it was the first time where my best had to be good enough, I guess. Yeah. And then I had to, you know, take obviously more role with the kids and, you know, just kind of snowballed from there. But Jim, that means you had to depend on somebody other than yourself. Yeah. That's not a... That's not that's not my happy place. No, your whole life it's had been you been my happy place. handling things, and all of a sudden Andrea is taking care of you in yeah. a way that no one's ever done in your entire life. And Andrea, you're in a place where someone wants you to be you, not perfect, just you. I do want to encourage you both, though. Like, I don't think you get out of that unless you did have strength in your marriage, unless you did have that like baseline, that baseline of trust, that baseline of, you know, unconditional love, even that baseline of faith, 
has to exist through that. Okay, so coming out of that though, you eventually end up at Collective. I think one of the things you told me back in the day was like, it was like you started walking again and one of the first things you did was come to West Frederick Middle School, which Mm -hmm. for people who don't have a memory of it, there were like one million steps (laughs) to get up and inside. Obviously life had changed. All this change is happening. Why another change? You, You had so much like, unrest and unsettling and everything else like okay like let's just keep going to the church that we're going to but in the middle of that you guys also were like hey let's check out this new church it's in a middle school like that's weird yeah a part of that i'll say is our the foundation of our life really has been change (laughs) you know so our our life was constantly in flux and it was easier that way because yeah. yeah, and I mean, we were already feeling not comfortable with that church yeah. as it was. And then, you know, he had been looking for the church through the podcasts and also with the community connection. Yeah. We just wanted to make sure we were doing something more than just sitting in a seat yeah. every week. Um, and so I think all of that just kind of worked together. Um, he had found you guys before the surgery and like had talked about it, but obviously we couldn't go for a while. Um, And so he could walk, but again, it was all about balance. So like we had to go in together. Like it was dark in there. He can't, he can't balance. (laughs) I still run into the walls. He still sometimes, yeah. The other day he came in and I was sitting in the front and he was serving and he walked in. He was like, well, this wasn't a very good day to not be confident (laughs) in my balance, you know? And so, you know, it was, it was all of that together, and um, sound was hard for him yeah. also. Um, yes, I, I couldn't, like, it was like I was living inside of a hamster ball <laughs> in a hurricane. Interesting. So the only thing that, that keeps my my balance forward right now is my vision. So if I close my eyes and I stand, just stand still, I'd start to tip over. I just can't. Because they had to drill through all sure. of my balance structures on the right side of my brain. So the right side of my brain has zero balance. So the left side had to learn how to yeah. balance for me. So that sort of tipped me into saying, okay, I need to I need to rely on others. And part of that is there's like I talked about before, you know, there's there's always been this kernel of truth. It's always been sure. there. But I needed to find a place that had people who truly lived that way to the best of their sure. ability. You know, it's it's one thing to, to be in a spot where people are broken and messed up, which, I mean, those are my people because that's who I am, right? That's That's been my whole life is yeah. broken and messed up. Um, it's harder for me to be open when the people look perfect. Sure. Because it's, I, sure. I just can't, I can't stomach it. You know, it just doesn't feel yeah. authentic in any way, shape or form. So... Yeah, that was one of the first, that was probably one of my first acts of truly leading from a uh, Christian standpoint. Was yeah. I said, I, we're, we're going to go to this church next yeah. week. So yeah. this was, my, my surgery was in June, and we came in August. And the whole time, I'm like, this better not be another game. This better not be another game. It was different. What I heard was real in a way that I had not that I was in the way I was expecting because of the podcast that I had heard right I was like these people are I don't trust any of them but 
they're not as weird as the rest of the church people that I've met, right? These are like kind of normal people. Like I see guys that look like me when I was in that wool suit. Like they're, maybe they don't have a ton of money. Maybe they, they're sweatier than they should be, right? And this is, these are like regular people. Um, this is a space where, you know, people are just as messed up as me, but they own it. And I'm <laughs> yeah, just hoping true. that this one here... Yeah doesn't shy away from that you know that was my concern was you know is Andrea gonna take to this or is this gonna be a little too close to the mark for me it was the grocery store buyout seeing that I was like wait what what are you doing Mm -hmm. like you're actually doing things with people in real life you know and it was it was the community-based portion of the church that I was like okay let's check it out um (laughs) So it was weird, you know, the whole high school thing or middle school, but um, everybody was so friendly and nice. And um, for me, that wasn't an issue because I'm used, I I didn't have the issues with church and people being fake and all that. So I was like, okay, great. Nice people. They, they know who I am when I walk in the Mm. door, which was not great for me. I'll be honest, because it's like, I don't want you to know me. Um, I still, if I'm being completely realistic with you all, like the prayer requests, I hesitate to put anything real on that card. (laughs) And when I do, and I get that email that says, hey, Andrea, I also blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't, I know who you are and I don't want you to know who I am. Like I still struggle with people knowing my mess um, a lot. You know, from the baseline, what you guys experienced was, was collective. Like it's, it's just, we're this messy, crazy, hardworking group of people, you know, we don't just like sit in our mess. Um, I'm not a big fan of people who talk a lot about, Hey, I've been through all these things and just sit there. It's like, Nope, I've got to work on this. I like to push buttons. I like to press on those things, but also create a place where you can be safe to go. Okay. I'm not that person, which actually leads to me a really good question that I have for Andrea is, you know, you guys lean in, it's been over three years. Okay. You both serve on the team now. Andrea, you're on Connections. Typically, you do what we call Collective Plus, which is like the extra stuff that we do. You tend to be the person serving people. It's very engaging. But you also signed up to do this podcast. Why? For everything that you've been through, for everything that you've wrestled with, this is really a big deal. And I definitely want to make sure everybody listening understands just how vulnerable this feels. Like we're in this small room in the building. So it feels safe right now. But what people who are on this podcast will tell you is that the days leading up to when it goes live, like you feel it all, you know, your heart beats a little bit faster. Um, after it goes live, you see people on Sunday morning and there's that, that it's just pure vulnerability. That's all this is. Um, so what has gotten you to this place where you're saying, Hey, I need to share this. I want to share this. Other people need to hear my story so that they can experience some healing and some growth and some change? Uh, Yeah, I mean, the last, I don't know, three, four years have been, has been a lot of me trying to be vulnerable. So for as long as I can remember, I've had walls and masks and ways of hiding. Um, The reason I feel like sometimes, you know, Collective Plus fits well I have to engage with people for very short sure. amounts of for time. For very specific things. For yep. very specific things. Um, I'm very good at being friendly on the surface. Sure. But in order to 
actually know who I am, I've had to figure that out over the last few years. And breaking down those walls has been really difficult. Not only for me to be able to talk to other people about it, like that's super hard, but me realizing who I am and all of the things that I've done to myself to close myself off from people who who do care about me. And so I've been taking steps to be more vulnerable with Jim specifically just because, you know, that's gonna that's what's helped us kind of through a lot of this is just mm-hmm. to be honest with each other um, and to really just be real. I spent my whole life saying I'm okay and being okay, but never ever really being okay. There was always underlying sadness uh, that I was never allowed to show. Um, you know, my first published poem was pretty dark, and uh, the response I got was not, great job, you got published. It was, do you really feel like that? Oh my God, like, are you, do I need to give you, like, do we need to take you to a hospital? You know, it wasn't, and I was like, well, no, I'm just kind of, that's just, I'm letting it out, right? And so I, I didn't have outlets to be able to express how I felt, so it was always just tucked deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, so I, I started law school this year, <laughs> and we had to go to this retreat, and, you know, we had to write three goals. One of those was, I'm going to be vulnerable. I knew that I would try to hide behind that wall of, I know what I'm doing. That was one of my goals is don't hide behind that and be vulnerable. Um, A couple weeks later (laughs) is when you announced uh, the podcast. I said, okay, you know, this was what God was asking me to do with my life was to be more vulnerable. I go to the... A leadership summit every year since 20, I don't know, 2014 probably, yeah. but it's put on by one of the churches. And yeah. I've been listening to other people's stories forever, and they always touch me um, in ways that I never would have imagined. So I felt like I could give back to the people who listen to this, even though it's really hard for me to uh, show that I'm not happy usually <laughs> on the inside um, to people who see me every week as that, you know, very energetic happy person so well one thing i I just want to tell you it's the beautiful thing of of people who care and um, don't expect anything from you is that and and i'll speak on behalf of collective like they just want you to be you there's this peace that happens when you get to a place where you're like man i can just be me like the highs and lows and one thing that's come from this podcast that we've seen that is probably the most beautiful thing is it's creating avenues for other people to say, hey, I've, I've felt that way for a really long time, and I just needed to know somebody else had felt that way too. And I think both of your stories have so much of that. You know, going in, kind of both of you guys going into like the survival protective mode. It just happening happening to meet each other in that. <laughs> but my hope is that there are people listening to this podcast, you know, women listening to this podcast that real, realize, hey, you can take a deep breath. And it's okay. And Jim, with you, it's it's people who have gone through so much who understand what it's like to survive and understand what it's like to kind of get into that pr- protective mode and thrive in that place for a long time, but then realizing I don't have to be there anymore. Just really thankful for you both sharing this. You guys both knew going into this that, you know, vulnerability is hard, but especially when you're people who prefer to be behind the scenes. And so I just want to make sure people listening understand like just how hard this is, but how willing 
um, Jim and Andrea are to share their story because they know that means you're going to see them and you're going to talk to them <laughs> and they're welcoming that dying on the inside. Um, but it, but it takes a lot. Um, one of my favorite parts about this podcast is I get to ask everybody, Hey, what advice would you give? And, um, you know, there's this beautiful thing about wisdom. We can either go through really hard things in our own life and learn from it, which you guys have done, but wisdom also can be handed down and it can be handed off to other people where you can say, I've been through this. You don't need to go through this. Let me talk you through it. Or, Hey, I've been through this. You're going through this now. Let me help you through it. And so at the end of every episode, I ask people, Hey, what wisdom do you have? What advice do you have for these people? And Jim, we'll start with you. My story is mine, but it's not unique. A lot of people grow up the way I grew up. I have family who chose a totally different path than me. And I think what the advice I would give is you can't, you can't change what created you as a, as a person, but you don't have to do, you don't have to follow those same footsteps. One of the most powerful things that I realized really early for myself is I could watch what was happening around me and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. And just choosing it and saying no, you know. All of my friends growing up, you know, that knew me from the young ages when, when all of this was happening in the house, uh, turned to drugs and alcohol. And they would ask me, you know, hey, you want, you want to get in on this with us? And all I saw was the destruction of it in my house. And I just said, no, I don't, I don't want to do it, you know. And it wasn't, it wasn't a big, you know, grandstanding thing. I just chose to say no. And there were times where I didn't choose to say no, and I made some some choices that I regret. But um, that doesn't that didn't give me the allowance to then say, well, you know, I screwed up, so I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna follow this path that I was taught because it's every every single day of your life you have an opportunity to make a choice, you know, and and you have to live with those choices that you've that you've made. But you got to just own up to what happened and what, you know, what your experiences are and still move forward. You know, the only thing you can do is move forward, um, you know, and that's with with my life, with my faith, um, you know, with with my my, you know, parents, with my children, with my wife. You know, I every single day there are things that I wish I would have done differently. But I could just I could point to things that I did right as well, and I hold on to those things that I did right, and I hold on to the good choices that I made, like marrying this girl and choosing to say yes. I'm gonna tell her that I want to come to this church, and I want to come here, and I want to I want to find people, you know, people that truly know what what it is to say yes to these types of things and to stop making everything in life about hiding from what you have experienced. That's good. Yeah. One of the things we talked about in the series is like, we get to choose. We get to decide whether our story matters. We get to decide whether it has impact. We get to decide if there's healing and it's just a good reminder and a good encouragement that as much as life does happen to us and we don't ask for a lot of things that we go through, we're still in control of how we respond to it you know, and how we handle it and what we do moving forward. 
Um, we don't have to stay in the same place our entire life. We don't have to be stuck in that generational garbage um, that we inherit from our parents who they inherited from their parents who grew up in a completely different era than what we did. Well, I'm glad you made the choice to come here. Jim, thank you for that. Andrea, what would you, what would you say? What advice would you give to people? Uh, simply, I guess you can't love others unless you love yourself first. You know, you can't be vulnerable with others until you're vulnerable with yourself first. You know, as I was saying with, you know, words being used as shameful or as shame generators for me, um, you know, when I'm vulnerable with myself, sometimes that literally just means walking through the park, talking out loud. (laughs) Um, You can't talk in your head because then all the crazy stories start happening. So... You, I know a lot of experts say to write it down on paper, but to some of us who've been damaged by that, speaking it out loud, speaking your truth to God while being completely alone works just fine too. And until you can do that, until you can be real with yourself and struggle through why you are the way you are and who you actually want to be on the way out, other people can't love you either. And so it's you got to do the hard work on yourself uh, before you can really give yourself to others. Um, I love the advice of talking out loud to God because I, I think um, oftentimes we feel like he's so distant and so far away, and it's like, no, like you literally can go about your day and just talk. Some people are going to think you're crazy, but but it's okay. That's because, why I because do it in know. the park. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like with everybody else who is crazy. Yeah. You're going through Baltimore. Nobody yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going down in the yeah. city. Nobody cares. Well, like when you know when you're on a nature trail and you're all by yourself. There's yeah. no one there to listen. Yeah. Usually, there's not a cell phone to like you know track where you are or do any of those weird things. Yeah. You know that can be vulnerable too. You're just talking to no one. Yeah. But God, all yeah. at the same time. So. Which is vulnerable in and of itself. Yes. Because you're trusting that He's listening and that He cares. That's awesome. All right, last question. My favorite question of the podcast, really, just because almost every single one's been different. I'm learning so much, not just about the people that I get to share these stories with, but also just about how uh, I obviously believe in the power of Scripture and how strong it is. But then you sit down and ask people what their favorite is, and you're like, we're not even scratching the surface of what Scripture is and and what it does and what it means to people. And this gives us a small glimpse into how powerful it is. Um, so feel free to share what is your favorite scripture sometimes people have shared more than one that's totally okay but share that with us Andrew we'll start with you Second uh, Corinthians 4 uh, 8 through 10 so we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's really good. Thank you. And mine, Psalm 34, 18. I I like the message translation for this one because I think it, it sums up a lot of life. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Man. I think both of you guys have been through lives that feel pressed and crushed and a lot of gut kicks. Um, but I'm so thankful for where God has brought you both. I'm so thankful for, you know, the, the opportunity for you guys to share your story because you get to take a step back and realize, like, as hard as it's been, you can see, like, the little imprint of God the entire time that leads you to this place, which, you know, I say this on most episodes, like, this isn't a bow. This isn't perfect. 
Um, it's far from it. That's a good thing. This is just kind of where you guys are. And as you continue to push toward vulnerability and trust and health and as you raise your kids and you see that in them and you see the goodness that comes from your own work in your kids, my hope is that this podcast can play a big part in that as well. And I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for your story. I'm thankful for how much you love this church. I don't want to like go into like full details for you guys listening because you don't have to know all the details, but um, Collective is not where it's at without Jim and Andrea. And we are not in this space. We are not reaching these people. We're not doing half of what we're doing without who they are and the risk that they took with us and um, the generosity and their time. Um, I will say this, when we did the Frederick that God sees and we're in this phase and we feel like God's pushing us to this next place, we don't know what it is, and I have this unique opportunity to see things differently than everybody else. And, you know, I'm reading through connection cards and I'm reading through for Frederick the Godsey's commitment cards. Um, I've cried a lot in the history of this church. I don't know if I've ever cried more um, than when I read what you guys committed to and what you guys wrote that day, because I didn't even know you guys, not even a little bit. And it just showed me how much God knew and how much God knew our city needed a church like this. And so for you guys to be on this side and and all that, I I can't thank you guys enough. You guys blew me away. And um, it doesn't make any sense how you ended up at this church being from the Midwest, you know, (laughs) and and with everything you guys have been through. But I hope people listening to this podcast know that um, if their faith has grown and their life has changed in this church, Um, You guys played a part in that, and I'm thankful for that, and I know other people are as well. So thank you guys so much for going further and taking another step and and leaning in even more and being a part of this with me. me. Thank you guys. Thank Thank you you. so much for having us.